Train, eat, repeat. The knowledge and know-how you need to live well. Here's your host, Tyler Ferrand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Train, Eat, Repeat podcast. So glad you're taking time out of your busy day to listen to my podcast, as it truly is just a work of passion for me. Make sure if you have not subscribed already or left a review to go on the iTunes podcast app or Spotify, leave a review and let me know what you guys think and also what you guys want to hear about. Before we get to our very special guest, Dr. William Davis, author of The Wheat Belly, I wanted to recap last week just so that way you guys aren't missing out. And if you did miss last week's episode, you'll be able to go back and sort of scroll through to hit the important parts that you want to hear about. So we talked a little bit around training around the proper warm up and why that's so important and the four phases that it should consist of. So no more than five minutes of cardiovascular type activity. Obviously, we want it to be more of an open chain type of movement, meaning that we're moving multiple body parts at one time. Then we're going to inhibit. And what this means is that we're going to roll the tissue using a foam roller, lacrosse ball, but really targeting those areas that are really tense or or really tied up. Then we're going to lengthen the tissue. So this is what's going to help increase range of motion. And so we're going to, again, target those areas that feel a little bit tight. And then what we're going to do is do dynamic movements or movements that mimic the movements we're going to do in our workout. So that way we can get that connection to that muscle tissue. And then that also is going to lead to better performance, less risk of injury, and just overall a, a better sense of how to move your body through space. Then we talked a little bit about supplementation and talked about the how supplements play a role inside of an otherwise healthy diet. We talked about it being a safety net. And we talked about four key supplements that I believe everybody should be having every single day. And that was a multivitamin, fish oil or omega-3 acid, fatty acids, protein, and then also having a green supplement in there as well to supplement the greens that you're not otherwise getting through your diet. And by putting these into your routine, it is not a solve-all, so I'm not saying that supplements are the answer for everything, but that they are a nice safety net to help catch everything that we're, miss- we're missing out of our diet already. And then we talked a little bit about mindset, and this is where it comes down to the recovery, the practice, and the take time, but how to practice making an effective mindset, because without it, no matter what goals you have, you're not going to get to where you want to be. And so we talked about the three areas that typically uh, run amok when you're trying to set a good mindset in terms of worrying, feeling overwhelmed, and also creating a better sphere of influence or the people that you surround yourself with and how that's going to help you with your mindset. So make sure if you missed out on last week's episode, if any of those things sound like you need to hear more about, so make sure you go back, take a listen, and again, let me know what you think. Today, super excited. We're going to step away from our normal cadence because I had the chance to sit down with New York Times best-selling author, Dr. William Davis. He wrote the book, The Wheat Belly, which was just re-released in 2019, the end of last year. And I just felt like his message was so powerful and, and it connected to me on, on so many levels, but especially on the level of how I like to coach and the way that I look at health in general and how we can help improve the health of 
America, really, and, and the world. So really hope that you guys enjoy this interview and make sure you take some notes, make sure you grab a notebook because there's some really good information that Dr. William Davis was able to share with me. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy the interview. Dr. Davis, I, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. I came across your book after listening to you on Max Lugavere's podcast, and the the book itself really spoke to me because I actually have heart disease that runs in my family. Um, I watched my uh, grandfather basically waste away. Um, not only did he have uh, heart disease, but also had uh, diabetes and a host of other health issues. And being a wellness coach and just knowing what you know, whole food diets can do to sort of reverse some of these, uh, you know, ailments um, really spoke to me. For the people that don't know exactly what your uh, sort of methodology is around the wheat belly, what exactly is it? Well, as you point out, Tyler, uh, the, uh, I started out, of course, practicing cardiology and became very disenchanted with the way things are done in conventional medicine. So uh, going back 15, 20 years, I took people to the cath lab and did angioplasty and stent implantation and atherectomy and aborted heart attacks and those kinds of things. But my mom died a sudden cardiac death a few months after her successful coronary angioplasty. And it, it then struck me that here, my mom dies of a disease that I thought I knew something about and was managing every day, but it highlighted just how awful it was to try to manage a disease with a procedure in the hospital. So I set out looking for ways to identify people who were at risk for a heart attack and sudden cardiac death. Well, back then, and now, by the way, the only way to really do that is with a CT heart scan that yields a coronary artery calcium score. And uh, I, I, I put together a program. We put together the funding and opened uh, Milwaukee Heart Scan. This is going back gee, to over 20 years now. And we started scanning people left and right. And of course, once you start looking for heart disease, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years before a heart attack occurs, you find it. You find it everywhere. And back then, the answer was, well, then put these people on Lipitor, a low-fat diet, and aspirin. Well, we helped publish these data. If you did nothing, that score goes up 25% per year. If you put people on the best we have in, in medical care, and medical uh, current medical care, aspirin, a statin drug, and a low-fat diet. It goes up 25% per year. So people are justifiably freaking out, and we didn't know what to do. The consensus opinion, by the way, Tyler, was that just let them have their heart attacks and then worry about it, which, of course, is a ridiculous, absurd idea. So I set about trying to find ways to put a stop to this. And it became clear once you do, once you reject cholesterol testing, which is a, ri a ridiculous, miserable, uh, misinformed way to identify risk for heart disease, and you do more, more sophisticated testing, like lipoprotein testing, advanced lipoprotein testing, you quickly see that coronary disease and heart attack is a disease of diet. And it's caused by a, a, a striking abundance of small LDL particles, not LDL cholesterol, like uh, that's treated with statin drugs, but an excess of small LDL cholesterol. But there's only two groups of foods that cause a formation of small LDL particles, and that's grains and yeah, sugars. And that's what led me down this path of taking out wheat and grains from people's diets. 
And I mean, obviously, your, your results in your book show that that this this uh, sort of methodology or this new way of living uh, works. What I found interesting, too, in your book was that, you know, obviously on the cover of the book, it says lose the wheat, lose the weight. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I read your book, the testimonials from the patients that you had, it seemed that the weight loss was just a byproduct of of going on this diet, but it was, that wasn't the main reason that people had other ailments and beyond just heart issues, but, but diabetes. Um, I think we had people that had chronic inflammation issues. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? And if I was right, that, that the weight loss is sort of an extra. Yeah. So I, I, of course I did this all for coronary reasons. So people would start with small LDL measures uh, by an NMR lipoprotein panel of something like, say, 2,100 nanomoles per liter, particle count per volume. And they take wheat and grains and sugars out of the diet and it drops to zero or some other very low value. But they would come back to me, say, three months, four months later. They say, you, you didn't tell me I'd lose 47 pounds <laughs> or that my type 2 diabetes would go away. I'd have to stop my insulin and my metformin and my bieta injections. I didn't know that my rheumatoid arthritis would get, get so much better. I could stop my prednisone and my Humira. My acid reflux disappeared. My rosacea, psoriasis, and seborrhea disappeared. My irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease disappeared. In other words, what I started to see when I did this for coronary disease reasons was an absolute transformation of people's health, including weight loss. The weight loss is especially interesting. You know, I, I start the conversation often with weight loss, even though I didn't start out trying to do that, because that's what most people are, want to talk about. Talking about coronary disease and heart attacks is kind of scary. No one wants to talk about that or, or cancer, but they do want to talk about food and looking good and looking thin and, and uh, losing weight. So I often start the conversation out with that. At the base of all this, this program is enormously effective for, for losing weight for several reasons. The gliadin protein of wheat and related proteins and other grains yields opioids, opioid peptides. See, uh, wheat and grains are seeds of grasses, and humans simply don't have the enzymes that allow us to break down the proteins in the seeds of grasses. So if I eat an egg or a piece of hamburger, I break those proteins down into single amino acids. When I eat the proteins in the seeds of grasses, like a uh, say a slice of whole grain bread, I don't break those proteins down into single amino acids. I break them down, at least the ones from the gliadin protein, into four or five amino acid long peptides. And those peptides are very peculiar. They are able to cross the blood-brain barrier and bind to the opiate receptors of the human brain where they stimulate appetite. They stimulate appetite hugely. It's responsible for weird phenomena like people who eat a huge bowl of pasta. They're filled to bursting, but they still have this feeling that they're hungry or this idea that you have to eat many small meals all throughout the day because you're never quite satisfied. That's the gliadin protein, gliadin-derived opioid peptides that drive that uh, effect. There's also the amylopectin A carbohydrate that raises blood sugar higher, ounce for ounce, than even table sugar. And as you know, when you have a high blood sugar, it causes high blood insulin. And that causes insulin resistance. And it's insulin resistance and high levels of blood insulin that drive the accumulation of visceral fat and other phenomena. Uh, and that's what makes people fat. 
And so if we take somebody who's insulin resistant because they've been eating a lot of sugars and grains, you'll see blood levels of insulin of 30, 40, 60, 70 microunits as, as compared to a healthy slender person who has a level of two or three. So high levels of insulin drive insulin resistance and it causes weight gain. When you remove the amylopectin A of grains, uh, the insulin level plummets. And that's why, by the way, Oh, when I do this uh, for the first week or so in people, we have to tell them to hydrate better, hydrate more than usual, and salt their food and even salt their water because there's such a vigorous diuresis or loss of water and salt in the first week because you reverse salt retention and water retention when you get rid of wheat and grains and sugar. And insulin resistance drops, the gliadin protein is eliminated, and people lose water and fluid and, and so vigorously that we have, I've had people pass out in the first week and we also have to stop or at least reduce their blood pressure medicines. It's so spectacularly effective in reducing blood pressure. So um, it's insulin resistance that drives a lot of these processes. And that's what we're doing with this program is we're reversing insulin resistance. How much progress have you seen? I mean, obviously this book first came out in 2011, the uh, re-release and with the updated uh, studies and the, and the recipes in the back of the book, um, it's nine years later. And, and, you know, 2011, arguably, I would say you could walk into any grocery store and you might find a few gluten-free options. You, you might not see it on every single label. And um, now you walk in and there might be an entire section of gluten-free. They might even rate gluten-free on things that never had gluten to begin with. <laughs> and so, you know, how much traction have you seen in the world and, and how close are we to to realizing that these you know, wheat grasses are, are essentially uh, terrible for us. You know, we still have plenty to do, Tyler. All we have to do is go to your local Walmart and see just how much more we have <laughs> work left to do. Sadly, uh, the wheat belly movement has triggered the gluten-free movement, which is a, a disastrous way to deal with, with uh, health. So while I advocate for elimination of all grains, wheat, rye, barley, millet, oats, rice, uh, sorghum, etc., Unfortunately, there's a lot of money being made in producing gluten-free processed foods. That is, foods made with cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, and potato flour. Now, we already know that foods made of wheat raise blood sugar higher than almost all other foods, higher than table sugar, higher than candy bars. That's because of the high digestibility of amylopectin A. And also the, more addictive, right? And more addictive. There are very few foods that raise blood sugar higher than wheat. And among the foods that, the very short list of foods that raise blood sugar higher than wheat, cornstarch, rice flour, tapioca starch, and potato starch. In other words, it's almost like a cruel joke. People go wheat-free or they say gluten-free and then buy those gluten-free foods and don't understand why they gain 23 pounds. Their hemoglobin A1C, reflecting blood sugar, goes way up. They have uh, uh, all kinds of change in bowel flora. They develop insulin resistance, and they increase their risk for cancer, heart disease, and dementia. So gluten-free foods are a crime against uh, human health. But unfortunately, people often hear, go grain-free, go wheat-free. That must mean I have to eat gluten-free processed foods, which is a big, big, big mistake. So then what are you advocating if, if, if we want them to stay away from those gluten-free foods because we know that it's going to increase blood sugar? And they're not going to see a change just by taking out wheat alone. What does what do you advocate? So it's a return to the way of eating that humans engaged in for the first 99.4% of our time on this planet. 
So it's a, it's a return to real, real food. Things that if we were starving, if you and your family were starving, heaven forbid, and had to fend for yourself in the forest or jungle, you would immediately know what food looks like, right? It'd be that squirrel. It'd be that animal. It'd be that fish or shellfish or berries or nuts or the roots and tubers you dig for. So it's a return to the way humans are supposed to eat. The problem is, of course, we live in a social society where we have obligations like entertaining friends and having birthday parties for our kids and uh, football parties. So one of the things I've done is shown people how to make, say, pizza or cheesecake or muffins or cookies or pies using benign non-grain ingredients and no sugars, by the way, also. So you can make a perfectly fine pizza, but we're going to make the crust with almond flour or coconut flour or ground golden flaxseed or other nut and seed meals that don't have the same kinds of peculiar and uh, uh, perverse effects that wheat and grains have on humans. And they're still able to feed that emotional need for pizza or something that they absolutely crave without the actual detriment. Exactly. Though it's much easier than people think because once you lose that glide and drive opioid peptide effect that drives appetite, the incessant appetite that most modern people have, you find that you have breakfast, for instance, at 7 a.m., and you probably won't be interested in food till 3 p.m., 5 p.m. It's a complete almost indifference to food. Hunger also feels different, Tyler. That is the kind of uh, angry, ravenous uh, hunger that people who consume grains have goes away. And hunger feels more like a soft reminder. You know, I, I should probably eat something in the next few hours. So it completely changes your relationship to food. You see it most vividly, by the way in people who have uh, eating disorders like binge eating disorder or bulimia. And these are the people who are victims of, they're, they're tied, they're slaves to food. You can find them sitting in front of the refrigerator in a chair at 3 a.m. binging and then having to purge in the bathroom. That goes away. That addictive relationship with food, the 24-hour day food obsessions all go away in the majority of people with these conditions when you get rid of the gliadin-derived opioid peptides. And just another benefit, you know, like you said, you had started out uh, for the heart benefit side of things, but obviously more things have, have come along. I have to ask this, you know, obviously you anytime you go against the grain in a field, um, you're going to ruffle some feathers. What was it like coming out with this new concept and treating these patients um, when you have colleagues in the same field that are listening to the high grain diet suggestion, um, they're prescribing medications. Um, what was that like for you? Did you come up against a lot of pushback? Not as much as I expected, Tyler. And I think the reason why is because most of my colleagues are buried deep in their procedures, how to make more money, how to build their programs in the hospital. And they're not really paying any attention to what's going on in the world of nutrition. And they certainly don't know anything about health. I know that sounds weird, but my colleagues, cardiologists, gastroenterologists, primary care doctors, ophthalmologists, et cetera, are more concerned with uh, what they do in the day-to-day, -day, deliver a procedure, dispense a medication. They have virtually no understanding of nutrition, nor of what health should look like. So I'm finding what's happening, and this is kind of positive, that uh, as people get smarter about their diet and their health, they find that the doctor knows virtually nothing about real health. So if the, if the person says something like, you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, acid reflux, can you help me get rid of it 
using natural methods. The doctor will have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> he's got Prilosec. He's got Lipitor. He's got uh, uh, Vasipa. He's got Humira and Enbrel. And he's got a nice procedure in the hospital to take care of these. And of course, none of this, none of the things that are delivered via conventional healthcare actually addresses the cause. It makes a lot of money, generates lots of side effects, causes a lot of uh, expense to the, to the person, to the patient, but never once even the doctor even thought to, to ask, why does this person have this, all these conditions and what could we do in a natural way? So that's but one of the lessons that have come out of my, my Wheat Belly Now Undoctored projects. And that is, we, I, I, I urge people not to treat health conditions, but to address the factors that allow health conditions to emerge. So an easy example is type 2 diabetes. If I go to my primary care doctor, my blood sugar is 173. He says, I'm going to put you on metformin and bieta injections, and maybe we go to insulin injections. I'm going to have you talk to a dietitian or a diabetes educator. She's going to talk to you about cutting your fat, cutting your saturated fat, and eating more healthy whole grains, which of course raises your blood sugar and increases your reliance on medication. That's the conventional path. It's a path that guarantees income for the doctor, guarantees income to the healthcare system, big pharma, medical device industry. What if we instead addressed all the factors that allowed high blood sugars to emerge in the first place? We eliminate the foods that raise blood sugar, wheat, grains, and sugars. We address the nutrients missing from modern lifestyle that allow insulin resistance to emerge, vitamin D, magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids, iodine, and the uh, uh, epidemic of dysbiosis that is disrupted bowel flora. Let's address those things. And the vast majority of people who have type 2 diabetes are non-diabetic within weeks, sometimes longer, depending on how much weight you have to lose, and it can be off all their medication. In other words, do we turn off that huge flow of revenue to the healthcare system, to doctors, to big pharma, et cetera? You can, but the, the world is not ready for that movement, that, that kind of message because there's too much money to be made by giving people the wrong message. Well, and it puts more onus on the individual to say no to that doctor and, and find the right information. I mean, is, is that what people need to do if they go, if they have a primary care physician, many of them have had that person in their life since they were a child. And a lot of them have created relationships where, you know, you are trusting their doctors for crying out loud. So, <laughs> so, so what do people do? I think reject the idea that the doctor is the expert in health. The doctor actually knows almost nothing about health. I practiced cardiology for, for 25 years. It took me 17 years of education trained to practice cardiology. I can tell you, despite all that, I knew back before I took an interest in these things, almost nothing about health. If you said to me, I want to preserve bone density so I don't have an osteoporotic hip fracture at age 84, what can I do? Doctor says, let's prescribe uh, uh, Fosamax and take calcium, which are really stupid answers, as you and I know. <laughs> There's so much more you can do that really does work to prevent osteoporosis and preserve bone density. But in other words, we have doctors and healthcare system who practice something called willful ignorance. They only pay attention to the things that enrich their bottom line and choose not to pay any attention to the things that really do uh, restore health in humans. And so I think, it, I don't see my colleagues changing. If you're an ophthalmologist and you're making $3 million a year, 
by injecting people with those ridiculous drugs for the uh, retinal diseases, et cetera, that, that ophthalmologist is not going to have an epiphany one day and say, you know what? I think I should start educating my patients on how not to have eye diseases. Ain't going to happen. The orthopedist who loves replacing hips and knees because he makes a lot of money, several thousand dollars every time he does it, every time, every time he does that, uh, he's not going to one day say, you know what? I need to start talking to people when they're younger before they have arthritis and bone on bone pain and show them how not to have arthritis. He's not going to do that. And so we have a system deeply uh, entrenched into a style of willful ignorance and practice and making money that won't change. And so I see it as the job of people like you and me to educate people and for people to take control, take the reins of health into their own hands. And the, the truth of this is, and I think you know this, that people, the kind of health that people can achieve on their own is not almost as good as what the doctor provides. The kind of health you achieve on your own with benign guidance is vastly, dramatically superior to the health that the doctor tries to provide. Because the doctor has flawed tools designed mostly for revenue generation, not for your health. Well, sure. And you're, and you're going to appreciate more because you worked for it. You know, mm -hmm. you, exactly. you got the result. And we don't have side effects. We have side benefits. If that person who starts with type 2 diabetes becomes a non-diabetic, not only have they added eight years to their life and a life free of amputation and less likely to have dementia and heart disease and peripheral vascular disease and gastroparesis uh, and peripheral neuropathy, they also are thinner and their acid reflux went away and their leg edema disappeared and their ulcerative colitis has receded and their potential for neurodegenerative diseases has re In other words, we don't have to tell people that doing this will uh, lead to all these side effects. We have to tell people that they're going to be slender and healthy. Which I'm sure most people would sign up for in a heartbeat. <laughs> what was the reaction of, of your patients when you really started to treat them in this way? Were they resistant at first because they have been in front of so many doctors that were in the old way of thinking? You know, it was easier for me, I think, because one of the things I did was I was doing a lot of uh, lipoprotein testing, NMR. There's several ways to actually characterize the particles in the blood that cause heart disease. One method is NMR, lipoprotein analysis, nuclear magnetic resonance. Another is gel electrophoresis that the Berkeley Heart Labs was providing. And back then, there was still something called vertical autoprofiling or VAP, which is just centrifugation of serum. These are methods to truly look into the bloodstream to see what's causing heart disease. And uh, I think the gold standard now, nowadays is the NMR lipoprotein analysis. And when somebody has coronary disease, whether they had a heart attack or survived sudden cardiac death or had a coronary bypass surgery five years ago, or just had a coronary calcium score that was, that was elevated, and we look for the causes and you do NMR lipoproteins or other forms of lipoprotein testing, you see with, almost without fail, it has nothing to do with cholesterol. And it has everything to do with an abundance of small LDL particles and asso other associated abnormalities, like an increase in VLDL particles, triglyceride-rich VLDL particles. So it was very graphic. And these people were motivated because these people had risk for, for dying and having heart attack. So I'd show the, these people, listen, John, you have um, 1,900 nanomoles per liter, small LDL particles. Your triglycerides are 280, and you have an abundance of VLDL particles, and you have a hemoglobin A1C of 6.2% in the pre-diabetic range. <laughs> I showed them. I just say, all right, we're going to eliminate wheat and grains and cap your net carbs, eliminate sugar. We're going to supplement vitamin D, fish oil, 
magnesium, iodine, etc. They're like, okay, I'll give it a try. They're a little skeptical, a little uh, uh, doubtful. They come back three months, six months later. They're uh, 38 pounds lighter. Small LDL is zero. HDL went from 34 to 88. Triglycerides dropped from whatever, 283 down to 44. Uh, hemoglobin A1C dropped from pre-diabetic range down to 4.6%. In other words, they saw the absolute striking power of doing the things we talk about. And so I think that's what persuaded people. I, I had the advantage of having a very uh, detailed metabolic profile in all these people because they had coronary disease. So it was easier for me. It's not as easy, I think, when you don't have these kinds of tools. Um, but you have to tell people that this is how you lose weight. This is how you get rid of so many conditions. But what we're doing, of course, is not treating things. We're simply addressing the factors that allow disease to emerge in the first place. Sure. And like you said, there's no uh, bad side effects. If anything, they're all positive side effects uh, of the diet. How they might have to shop for a new wardrobe. Uh, yeah, I, I would think that uh, besides the uh, the wallet uh, getting a little less full, it would be uh, it'd be definitely a good thing to do. What would what should people do then? So, I, from my understanding and, and what I've what I've seen with my clients is I've had to send them to um, you know get to uh, get other blood work other than what their doctors will allow them to get or what insurances will cover. Do you suggest that they go and get these lipoprotein testing done somewhere else other than their primary care physician? Yeah, unfortunately, we have the primary care world and my colleagues, the cardiologists, who've been persuaded that high cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease. And there's a, little, there's, a, there's a bit of truth in that. But the real truth is that total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol are lousy markers for heart disease risk. And they are far superior. That's the real tragedy, by the way, Tyler, of the world of cholesterol testing, is it causes my colleagues to focus only on this ridiculous idea of cholesterol causing heart disease and not focusing on the dozen or so real causes of heart disease. It's no wonder that your hospital added a $60 million new wing for cardiovascular health because they're making tons of money by not preventing heart disease and focus on this absurd idea of high cholesterol. So I think there is real value. I, I don't think everybody has to go out and get those kinds of uh, advanced testing, but I can tell you if you did, you would see the dramatic transformation in your metabolic panels when you do this. So if somebody's truly motivated your doctor can order it, but the doctor will probably say something stupid like, um, I don't know what that is, or insurance won't cover it, and they do, or uh, we can do it, but I don't know what to do with it because the doctor doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to genuine health. And people can get, in most states, people can get these tests on their own, but a really good starting panel would be an NMR lipoprotein analysis. If you're truly at risk for coronary disease by family history, say, you should add a lipoprotein A, that's a genetic pattern. It's very helpful. We start with a profiling of your blood sugar and insulin status, hemoglobin A1C, fasting glucose, fasting insulin. It's kind of a, just a basic effort. Thyroid disease. You know that thyroid dysfunction is everywhere now. So we start with a full thyroid panel, a TSH, a free T3, a free T4, a reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies. We want to know your vitamin D status because vitamin D restoration is a huge advantage in preventing heart disease and other diseases, including viral illnesses like COVID-19. So we aim for a 25-hydroxy vitamin D blood level of 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. Uh, and then you could also throw in an AST, ALT. Those are liver tests because there's so darn much 
uh, fatty liver now because of this absurd notion that we should eat healthy whole grains and people drink uh, sugary soft drinks and, and, and juices that cause fatty liver. Uh, and there's an epidemic also of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. Uh, I was skeptical about this, but now that we have a consumer device called the AIR device, A-I-R-E, and you can actually test for hydrogen gas in your breath that bacteria produce in the comfort of your kitchen or living room, we're finding SIBO everywhere. And SIBO uh, is a big player in liver inflammation and uh, fatty liver. So, uh, by the way, one of the things I try to do with everybody is try to give them tools they can exercise on their own and don't need the doctor for. So you can indeed obtain blood panels on your own. There are now an explosion of direct consumer lab tests you can do. And that's just a ba- that panel I, I laid out is just a starting place. There's, there's plenty of other things you can do also, but all you want is a snapshot of your starting metabolic health. And then later on a follow-up to see how much you've achieved in, in changing. That would be a good starting panel. It gives you lots of insight in what you've achieved. And just a way to measure that progress. And for most people and the people that I've coached and, and continue to coach, habit change is, is really hard. And it, we've talked about a lot of things that people could do in terms of supplementation, in terms of cutting out wheat, cutting out grains. You know, where would you suggest that people start and what should they take away after reading your book? Because it is a lot for somebody that isn't in the field like you and I are. You know, Tyler, one thing you and I can't do is make somebody do something, even if we know. And you know what? Sadly, people have become very skeptical because they've been fed so much bad information. Cut your fat. Cut your saturated fat. Eat more healthy whole grains. Everything in moderation. Move more. Eat less. You don't need vitamin D. Fish oil doesn't work. Bacon causes colon cancer. Eggs cause heart, and the people have been inundated with so much ridiculous information that they're skeptical when somebody like you or me comes along and says, Hey, you know what? <laughs> All that stuff you've heard is nonsense. Here's the real answer. So people are understandably skeptical that we actually have the right answers. But fortunately, the huge groundswell of, of success is what's driving this. It's not my charisma. It's, it's it's not our good looks, right? It's I think it's because when people see other people losing 83 pounds, type 2 diabetics becoming non-diabetic, people who are incapacitated by fibromyalgia or migraine headaches, uh, getting rid of them and off all their medication. People who start with 11 medications now down to zero. And they, and they also, by the way, it's not just a matter of being slender. It's also a matter of also looking and feeling far better. Uh, can I tell you about one of the crazy things we've been doing with uh, yogurt making? Yeah, please. So one of the so I, I, we're very involved now in addressing bowel flora. And part of that is eradicating SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, empowered by the availability of the consumer air device. Uh, we're eradicating fungal overgrowth, which is far worse than I ever thought it was, far more common. But one of the things I've gotten involved with is there's a bacteria that was present in the majority of people in the Western world called Lactobacillus reuteri, R-E-U-T-E-R-I, after the German discoverer, Dr. Gerhard Reuter. Well, this bacteria was present in most people up until the mid to late 20th century. But all the factors in modern life, antibiotics, herbicide, pesticide residues in food, chlorinated water, etc., have eradicated Lactobacillus reuteri 
from 96% of the population. Only a few people still have it. Well, you can actually take Lactobacillus rotori as a probiotic. There's two specific strains that are uh, sold to us by a company called BioGaia in Sweden. And they sell you tablets that are suited for infants because when, when children take these two strains of bacteria, they have less uh, uh, regurgitation of formula or breast milk, and they have less infantile colic. Well, I was there was some uh, there was some emerging information a few years ago that showed in mice that if they if you restore this bacteria in mice, they don't age, they stay young and vigorous, they have thick hair, they mate, they're stronger, normal bone density, normal muscular density, uh, normal hormonal status, even when they're old. So I, I took this bacteria, and because it's present at an infant dose, I propagated the bacteria as what I call yogurt. It's not really yogurt. It's really just a fermentation vehicle. We're using extended fermentation in the presence of prebiotic fibers, and we make a yogurt. It's rich, thick, and delicious. Eat a half cup a day, and lo and behold, you lose your skin wrinkles within four weeks, starting within four weeks. Dermal collagen explodes. That is, we restore youthful collagen. Um, your appetite is turned off. Your libido goes off. You regain youthful muscle and strength. I gained 13 pounds of muscle in three weeks without even trying. My strength went through the roof. I'm, I'm going to be 63 years old, and I handle weight in the, in the gym during my 15 minutes once a week when I could go to the gym before the <laughs> pandemic, and was handling weight I haven't handled since I was 20 years old. Uh, and because this rotori works by way of producing oxytocin through your pituitary gland, you feel greater empathy for other people. You have a desire for human connection. And <laughs> this bacteria is unique in that it, it colonizes the upper gastrointestinal tract rather than the colon, where it takes up residence in the stomach, duodenum, jejunum, and, and ileum, and produces what are called bacteriosins, which are natural antibiotics effective against the unhealthy species of SIBO. So I'm seeing dramatic transformations of people who are turning the clock back 10 or 20 years, maybe more, by doing this. And relevant to the pandemic conversation, one of the things that has been seen in mice, not yet corroborated in humans, but so far every observation made in humans, I'm sorry, made in mice has proven true, both in formal clinical trials as well as uh, our experience has proven true in humans. One of the observations made in mice is that when old mice take rotori, it restores the thymus, the seat of T-cell immunity against viruses, to, to youthful levels. In other words, when you're young, I, when you're young as a human or as a mouse, your thymus gland is large. The thymus gland is right beneath the breastbone, and it's full of T-cells to help you to help protect you against viruses. As you age in humans, starting at age 14 or 15, the thymus atrophies. We say thymic involution, and by age 70, there's almost nothing left. That's the part of the reason why people in their 70s die of the flu, die of coronavirus, die of pneumococcal pneumonia, die of sepsis. They don't. They have very impaired immunity. Well, taking rotorite restores the thymus back to the way it was when you were youthful. We have not yet corroborated that in humans, but I think it's true that taking rotorite restores, reverses thymic involution. But this is, this is a taste, Tyler, I think, of the coming explosion of extremely powerful uh, specific microbiome strategies. And it starts with this crazy thing called lactobacillus rotori. And how accessible is it right now? 
So you have so we have to be mindful of spe- of strains when we deal with bacteria. Unfortunately, if you buy a commercial probiotic, almost all of them fail to specify strains, which is a big problem. So if we know, for instance, that Lactobacillus rhamnosus strain GG uh, accelerates recovery from post antibiotic diarrhea, so you go buy a nice fifty dollar bottle of probiotic and it has lactobacillus rhamnosus, they don't specify the strain. You don't even know if it works. This is a big problem. But it means we have to be mindful of strains. Uh, another illustration. So you have E. coli. Your listeners have E. coli. I have E. coli. But what if you eat lettuce contaminated by E. coli from cow manure? Well, you can die of kidney failure and sepsis. So same species, E. coli, different strain. So you have to be very mindful of of strain designations in bacteria, and it can literally be a life-death difference. So with these strains of lactobacillus ruteri, people don't have to write this down. It's all my Wheat Belly blog. It's in my undoctored blog. It's the strains DSM-17938 and ATCC-PTA-6475. Those two strains are the ones we know work. Um, So we make make the yogurt... uh, 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 by the way, that recipe for making the yogurt is also in my Wheat Belly blog. There's something called the Wheat. Uh, it's called the um, Make El Rotary Yogurt Step by Step Guide. Because what I what we do is we take those tablets, crush them for the first batch, add uh, prebiotic fiber, like a couple tablespoons of inulin powder or uh, raw uh, potato starch powder, and then add a little bit of I use uh, organic half and half. Add a little bit, a couple tablespoons, make a slurry add the remainder of your half and half, and then keep it at 100 degrees Fahrenheit for 36 hours. So we're fermenting for far, commercial yogurt is fermented for about four hours. We're fermenting for 36 hours because you get the huge uptake in bacterial counts in the last hours of fermentation, not the beginning hours. So hour 30, 34, 36 is where you get billions of counts. We get about 90 billion counts of bacteria at 36 hours. We're also fermenting in the presence of prebiotic fibers because that's what nourishes bacteria. The end result is a rich, thick, delicious yogurt, high in fat, because I think cutting, cutting fat is ridiculous. So th- our yogurt is 18% fat. It's it's kind of sour because we ferment for an extended period, and that converts the lactose to lactic acid, and the pH is about 3.5. But you eat this delicious yogurt, and you get all these age-reversing probiotic and uh, empathy-inducing in- effects. Well, sign me up. I'll look for your face on, uh, on in grocery stores, hopefully soon well, or sometime in the future. See, that's that 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 that's the rub, though. So the company who makes who who holds the patents, they've managed to patent these two bacterial strains. And I I went to them several times. They're in Sweden. I said, Hey, can you? Uh, people say to me, I'm sick and tired of making the yogurt every few days. Can you have somebody make it for us? Well, I'm not a yogurt maker. I don't know how to do that uh, as a business. So I went to BioGaia, the company. I said, Hey. Will you allow us to have some company make it for it? They said, no, we won't let you allow do that because we're worried about the integrity of our intellectual property. Uh, uh, what I was expecting them to say is, yeah, you can do that, but it's going to cost you $10 million or some ridiculous licensing fee, but they won't let us do it. So I've been looking for an alternative strain. I found one, I believe. We were planning a small clinical trial to prove that this alternative strain does the same thing or better, by the way than the BioGaia strains, but we're, we've been um, uh, uh, delayed by the pandemic. We can't have participants in a study because of social distancing. So we'll, we'll perform that clinical trial sometime down the road. But my prediction is I have a strain that does everything the BioGaia strains do, and it will not be encumbered by patents. 
and then I can tell you what it is and we can have somebody make it for us so that you and I, when we don't feel like making it or we're traveling and can't make it, go to, I don't know, Whole Foods or some grocery store and buy the yogurt there. Like I said, sign me up and uh, I'll definitely be on the lookout. I want to get you out of here on this question. And um, what I what I really appreciate more than anything, the information is you're a product of the product. You know, I'm a believer that if you're going to put this information out there, that that you actually believe in it and that you actually have practiced it. What has this lifestyle done for you personally? Tyler, I cringe at the thought of what my health would be like if I didn't do these things and know these things. So 25 years ago, I made myself a type 2 diabetic because I decided to go low. I heard uh, Dr. Dean Ornish talk in Atlanta at the American College of Cardiology meetings. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. He, Sorry about that. He claims to have reversed heart disease using a vegetarian, low-fat lifestyle. So I decided to give it a try. I went vegetarian, low-fat, ate no meats, added no oils, ate only vegetables, fruit, and whole grains. And I checked my blood sugar into that program. I was an overt type 2 diabetic. I had a fasting blood sugar of 161, triglycerides of 390, which is very high, and HDL cholesterol of 27. I was at high risk for heart and I, was, and I had high blood pressure and I gained a belly doing this while I was jogging three to five miles several days a week. So I stopped doing that. But, so I, but it showed me how easy it is to become diabetic, how easy it is to become non-diabetic. So that was one issue. But I also had irritable bowel syndrome. I had eczematous skin rashes, uh, on and off depression. Um, so that all went away with the diet. I added vitamin D. I got rid of my seasonal affective disorder. Uh, I, I developed SIBO because I went through a very stressful period a few years back. I addressed that. I developed small intestinal fungal overgrowth. I addressed that. So I learned from personal experience that it's very easy to go off course in health and have the doctor screw you up further by administering ridiculous drugs that make no sense whatsoever, like Lipitor for high cholesterol or blood pressure medicines like diuretics, which are completely absurd. Uh, and that you have, you and I and your listeners have extraordinary power over health. But if I didn't know that, I would already be dead of a heart attack or I'd be on insulin and other drugs for diabetes. And I'd probably have a whole range of other health problems. I, and well, I have none of that, by the way. Well, and if you didn't take the time to research it and sort of experiment on yourself and and figure out exactly how to be healthy uh, without all those extras that the uh, the doctors were probably going to give you, you know what? It's it's become an e- it's become easier also because we have proliferation of direct consumer lab testing. We have consumer devices like the air device or finger stick blood sugars, which by the way is a much underappreciated tool. We have things like the Apple Watch and Whoop and Aura Ring and uh, Fitbit, and so many tools are coming out now that make you taking taking control over health far easier, far more precise and far better than the doctor could ever do. Well, and that's my hope. My hope is that we, uh, we're, we're making strides towards a healthier population because you and I both know that we're still pretty far away. Um, and nothing's ever going to be perfect, but, um, Again, I appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else that you'd want to let the listeners know about uh, your book or or uh, where we could find you? You know, the I think the best place for people who if people want to start out uh, on the basic programs, I, I as you mentioned earlier, 
I did re-release Wheat Belly. I updated the strategies. I updated uh, the recipes. I added more success stories. And that's called the revised and expanded version of uh, edition of Wheat Belly. That's a good place to start. My Wheat Belly blog has about 2,000 articles on it. So it's got a lot of information there. Um, people who really want to dive deeply into this and want some assistance. So for instance, one of the more complex things we do is identify and then manage SIBO, small intestinal bacterial, because you and I know if you go to John Q primary care and say, Hey doc, I think I have SIBO because I have fibromyalgia and SIBO and fibromyalgia are virtually synonymous. Doctor says, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't waste my time. Uh, there's no such thing. Did you consult Dr. Google? <laughs> so mm. you, you'll be on your own. And that's kind of scary. So if they don't have someone like you to assist them, one of the things I try to do is make it available through something called, called the Undoctored Inner Circle, which is a membership website. But it's a place where we have uh, two-way video meetings. This is past Wednesday. I, I met with 100 people, two-way video on the Zoom platform. And we talked about issues like rotary yogurt and KCI yogurt, by the way, lactobacillus KCI Shirota yogurt. We make yogurt with this other probiotic strain that increases your resistance to viral respiratory viruses hugely. And so we make yogurt with that also, or make juices, ferment juices with it. So we talk about these kinds of things in the undoctored inner circle for, for the truly serious uh, uh, person engaged in health. Thanks for listening to Train, Eat, Repeat. Connect with us on Instagram at fit underscore ferrant or at traineatrepeat.co. Until next time, stay strong, stay healthy. 